0: Well, hi again, folks. Welcome into Unanchored Boston. And this week's episode of Unanchored Boston is brought to you by Our Best Foods, featuring our best hamburgers, available at your local favorite grocery. Are they a new sponsor? What's that?
1: Are they new? Are they new no, sponsor?
0: no. They're, they're, they're one of our favorites, uh, our, our best. And also by Cold Springs RV, your destination. Are they new, too? What's that?
1: Are they new, too? No, they're not. Oh,
0: okay. But, yeah. but he, 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 you know, you knock on enough doors, Bob. One of them is going to be the right door. Okay. Oh, by the That's way. By the way, savvy. is
1: this your first week as a broadcaster Hall of Fame member? Uh, I'm
0: not in it yet.
1: Oh, but, but it is your first week as a member of the Broadcasters Hall of Fame.
0: Well, when I get in, it will be. Which will be what? That.
1: Which will be tomorrow
0: or Thursday? Thursday. Okay. Good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Okay. Can I get a copy for the people uh, that are
1: paying money? pay money. I'm paying $80 to see it get in. It better be good.
0: <laughs> Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping in Weird New Hampshire, and the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. Now we can talk about greatness and get on with the show, because we have a guest for the ages, folks. We've got the one and only Steve Buckley. Take it away, Loby.
1: <laughs> oh, Buck, you know, so many memories, so so little time, you know, between George Foster, Charlie Pierce, you, you know, you just go right down there, just this whole genre, whole Cliff and Claff and all the whole world that was ours. Well, well just to illustrate the
2: talent that you have. You managed to tie up George Forester and Cliff and Claff, and I tied a little bow. That's 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 good. That's good to make that connection. <laughs>
0: what, what's um, going on? But uh, it, uh, it's now baseball,
2: uh, pretty much, or for football around the corner. Uh, it might be the other way around, actually. I finished up the NBA playoffs uh, last week. I made two trips down to Miami and I got back for the uh, debacle that was game seven at the garden last week and took a few days off and uh, I am literally just sitting in my kitchen den area now after being down at Gillette today and um, as soon as we get done, I'm going to write a uh, a stellar column I just lost my earpiece, a stellar column on uh, Ramondae Stevenson um from the Patriots and uh I I, I tend to think I'm going to be tilting more toward the Patriots because uh you know you go where the audience is and I'm not sure at this moment and you all know how much I love baseball uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a great deal of interest in the Red Sox unless they begin oh, really? baseball
1: games what I mean. makes you think that
2: Steve <laughs> well there was that little episode on Sunday when a guy hit a ball dribbled to the right side ended up rounding the bases um for what we call in the business a little league home run after the Sox were throwing the baseball around. And uh and um as I wrote in the athletic uh this week, uh we've got all the managers now taking the blame. Oh, it's you know, Alex, it's my fault. It's my fault we're not playing better. And uh and uh we've heard Joe Mazzola say that, we heard Montgomery say it, we even heard Bill say it, taking the blame for the uh fine and penalty. Um, over the Otas last week so these are softer gentler coaches we're dealing with now
1: boy they're bad they're a bad team it's just thoughts
2: uh, are a tough team to watch right now
1: yeah, yeah. Tough, tough tough now and uh, as we've heard on the radio people that these usually call these radio shows are pretty smart and pretty, yes. uh, intuitive and uh, they're not that happy with the radio broadcast either um, i mean one thing kind of goes together the whole package seems to when it deteriorates, it begins to
2: deteriorate. Well, I don't know. I, I think if the Sox are playing like the twenty-seven Yankees or the was it the eighty-four Tigers started off thirty-five and five, if if they if they get off to that kind of a start, then everyone would love the broadcast. And uh, so I think it's like the the snowball rolling down the hill, where the less you like the team, the less you like everything else connected with the team. So there is a bit of a malaise right now, and it's unfortunate because I kept. I couldn't watch the games with the regularity that I usually do because I was with the Bruins and Celtics. But I, I would watch them in dribs and drabs, and I would certainly read the stuff that every, the great stuff that all the writers do. And, and at one point, they had a bit of a winning streak, and there were seven games over 500. They were like 27 and 20. And I said to myself, well, this is good because however the Bruins and Celtics end, whenever the Bruins and Celtics end, be it with duck boat parades and rolling rallies or blame assessment which is what our big industry is in sports journalism when the teams lose that we could make a graceful segue to a baseball team that was exciting interesting and competitive and uh that that would have been the perfect scenario but then the Bruins lose the first round celtics lose game seven eastern conference finals and then we do the blame assessment and then we turn to the Red Sox and they're throwing the ball all over the place. I, I watched most of both games Sunday and didn't come away very impressed.
0: Yeah. Why, why, do we, why do we always in Boston have to blame somebody? Every time <laughs> something was wrong, it doesn't go according to blame. Why, why does somebody have to be blamed?
2: It, it, it is, it is the, one of the great mysteries of the time. And, uh, and I, I didn't invent it, and I'm not going to stop it. It's, it's, I'm just riding along on the, on the roller coaster here. But it's one of the things I, I, as I'm sure both of you guys have done a million times. You speak to college students. You get invited to BU and Northeastern and, you know, whatever. And um, I, I did something up in uh, the North Shore last, last month. And you, you talk to students. And one of the things I always say is if, if you want to get a really good idea of how this business works, it, let's just say you've got the, the, the Red Sox and the Detroit Tigers playing a game. If you really want to get an idea how it works, make sure that when the game is over, you watch Bob LaBelle on Channel 4 and Mike Lynch on Channel 5 and back in the day, Dino on Channel 7. But also, check with the three guys who are at the Detroit TV stations, you know, back way back. It was Scott Wally, I think, before he went to. Uh, um, didn't Scott Wally do some time in Detroit and uh, whoever? But but watch the Detroit TV stations, but also read the Globe, read the Herald, read the Providence Journal. But make sure you read the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News and, and the Booth newspapers, which is suburban chain, because you would think you were watching and listening in two different games because. Oh. Bob LaBelle is in and, and Mike Lynch are gonna say, Oh boy, this is what went wrong tonight. And you're gonna show the, you know, and up in Detroit they're saying, watch this great comeback by the Tigers. They are a machine, I tell you. And that's what everybody does. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: And, uh, what fun with that? Where's the fun in that? Exactly. Where's Where's the fun in that?
2: But I mean, especially yeah, the Sox yeah. there. No, but,
1: come on. It's like it's like the you're Anglo-Saxon heritage. Off with their head. Somebody yeah. has to be responsible.
2: Yeah, it's like it's like off it's with their like, head. Where like, did that start? With, with off, well, I guess Long it started with Morgan Marie Antoinette, I guess. But uh, but you know when the Sox would play the Yankees in those big series, and you know Dan and I, Shauna, she would get out representing our two newspapers, and you know the Sox had bought in the ninth inning, and and Dan us in the Globe, and, and me at the Herald, because we were the two columnists. And, and we were assessing blame and calling out villains and, uh, like, goats and all that. And then you pick up, you know, Mike Vaccaro in the New York Post and Bill Madden in the Daily News and, you know, Moss Klein, the New York Star-Ledger, Michael Kay, back when he was writing with the Post. And like, wow, these Yankees, they were down 6-2 to two and they strung together all these clutch hits. Nothing about the reliever who blew it by throwing the meatballs down the plate. And uh, it, it is, and again, you, you, you reward your teams for winning. You assess blame when they lose. Now, th- there, there are, there are uh, exceptions. When the visiting pitcher strikes at 18 and throws a no-hitter, or you've got, you know, A-Rod goes five for six with seven RBIs, um, then you, you, you celebrate the opposing player for rising to the occasion and having a big game. But, but what I said earlier is, is a fairly accurate assessment. And it's not just the, the old-fashioned newspapers. It's you guys on TV. It's certainly the talk shows.
0: Come
1: on. Oh, come on. Lynchie caught Clemens carrying somebody else's luggage. That's or he right. was carrying his
2: luggage. <laughs> that was a Channel 5 production, wasn't it?
0: It was an interview um, before Christmas. Yeah. And he was standing out there with the, um, what was it? Uh, who, who called them the, uh, what does you call the Nutcracker guys? It looked like they were uh, the, the, the uh, Buckingham Palace uh, yeah, guys. Yeah. So, cracker guy. I asked Clemens one question. I said, "Now, Bruce Hurst was a free agent, and we didn't know whether he was going to go." So I said, "All right, Roger, thanks for joining us. Bruce Hurst, will he go or will he stay?" And that's all I said. And then he went on like a two and a half minute rehearsed thing where he talked about it's a tough place to play. You don't understand. We had to carry our own luggage, and that thing just. Had legs, still has legs yes and he just he had an audience and he just went crazy and I could just see him oh my god this is not gonna end well this is gonna and this is gonna stay with him this is gonna be like like a like a shadow or a, like a getting sprayed oh, by yeah his... no it, uh, it and, and, the,
2: and, and the thing is I knew what he was trying to say he just said it at the wrong time and it, it didn't have anything to do with Bruce Hurst leaving he apparently was approached by players like hey can you can you ask the team the traveling secretary because we have to and it is a pain in the neck when you get i think it was toronto correct uh
1: like luggage is luggage Airports,
2: no it's, it actually is different in in toronto because you have to carry through customs and, and so forth so he was speaking about an issue the players had that had nothing to do with you or your audience and and it it, whatever you said something popped into his head and he was trying to be a team leader because the players were complaining about this but he shared it with you and thus everybody in new england and it it became what it became because what it what it became to the viewers and to the fans was rich baseball player doesn't want to carry his bags whereas the rest of us poor smokes have to carry our bags and uh so he 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 meant well but to the wrong audience at the wrong time
0: i i agree um and i i think he was trying to make a point too and i think it's a point well taken that was addressed later that the wives didn't really have a place to go to you know when they watch the game and take the kids you know there was they kind of it was subject to the wrath of, uh, of, of the, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Uh, you know, the people had a few couple of pops and just, just mouthed off. There was no protection for them at all. I think, I, I think you're right about that, but he took a bad hit for that.
2: Yeah. And they, and, and just to follow up on that, there, there is a, like a family lounge uh, next yeah. to the Red Sox clubhouse for wives, kids, and and now, not, now. Yeah, yeah. not, certainly not back then. Yeah. And, um, I mean, back then it was, back in Rogers' day and back in the day when, uh, when you guys were making millions of dollars a year and everyone was, uh, everyone was tuning in at 6 and 11 to what you guys had to say, uh, it was literally just the clubhouse. You'd walk in there and the players were sitting at their lockers because they had nowhere else to go. But well, now there's like a weight room and a ping pong room and a eating room and a sleeping room and a weight room and, and, and all that. And you walk in the clubhouse now, there's nobody there, and uh, so you, you're kind of waiting around, and you end up interviewing the bullpen catcher or something. And uh, um, it's it's you know they'll bring players out eventually, but it's 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 not what it was. Uh, that's good for the players in that they have some breathing room in that stifling little ballpark. Um, you know, bad for us in that we don't have a captive audience anymore. So, oh, always <laughs>
1: fascinating me be the and. The relationship between a town and its team, and how it differs uh, between town and team. I mean, Kansas City and the Royals, uh, Oakland and the A's, just different types of relationships. Seattle and, and the Mariners, just different types of relationships, and it varies as much as, as much in sports. I mean, I, I some of the celtic fan, I couldn't believe some of the celtic fans this year. This year, so, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I thought I'd heard it all. Well, I mean, it was uh, to to have the self fans backs. It was a, it was a sometimes difficult team to embrace. Um, they 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 certainly, as a cast of individuals, very talented. There's no denying that, and there's, there's no denying Jason Tatum is, is a special player, and that Jalen Brown is a special player, and in his way, Marcus Smart is a special player. Um, but there, there needs to be a connectiveness with the players to form a team. And uh, that seemed to be missing. Somebody put a thing on uh, Twitter last week, uh, just a, a, a series of highlights of the mid-80s, 19 Celtics, especially the 80-16. And it was nothing but three and a half minutes of passes that resulted in baskets. And it was bird behind the back to Mikhail to Parrish. Haynes doing this, DJ up for the layup. And by and, the way,
1: today is Rambus's the anniversary of the Rambus a, <laughs> Rambus takedown today.
2: You know, some somebody somebody asked me just last week, um, hey, you're from Boston. Is that how many games would Mikhail be suspended for that today? And my response was, how many games would he be suspended? Mike, how many months would he been in prison? I, when you when you when you look at that, I'm sure it wasn't as bad as as, as we make it out to be. I was just talking to Max about this. That's what I was talking about. It was Cedric Maxwell. When someone came up to us, and
1: um, remember, they, remember Buck? Remember right now, L.A.? He put on his glasses. They had their Rambus Youth. Yeah. Kids their glasses yeah. on, he said, "Hey, uh, there's Miss Rambus Youth. I'm Mr. Smith. Yeah. You know, show me the ball. I'm I'm Rambus Youth."
2: Yeah. It, it, there was a. There was that, and then there was there's also a famous highlight. This was in Philly. Uh, it's actually pretty funny, is that um, Max kind of went out, Cedric Maxwell kind of went out with a fan in the end zone, and you can yeah. see the fan throw something at him, and I asked him about that, and Max said he threw a pencil at me, and that's what kind of stuff. And and, and, so, and then, of course, you got Milbury and those guys going at Madison Square Garden, and, and Milbury literally beating a fan with his own shoe. Uh and I tell this to people now, they go, Oh no, you're just making that up. It's no, this stuff happened. So
0: and, and uh Ralph Sampson went after uh Jerry Seasting. Yes, uh, yeah, it turned into a big brawl. DJ was in the middle of it, and Tony yep. Most was going crazy, you know, gutless Ralph Sampson, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, uh, that's the way they do <laughs> things around here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the gutless <laughs> way they do things around, yeah. That's something.
0: But the, you know what we, we don't have, but Almost in every series, we had a villain. In hockey, there was always somebody on the other team who was either in the neck or turned out to be a villain. Basketball, we always had a guy that was always a villain. You know, uh, know, uh, Wally Jones, uh, uh, Tony was a pain in the neck, Steve Mix was a pain in the neck. Um, We always had a villain. Where have all the villains gone?
2: Well, you, you know, one there, there are some. One could argue the, the problem is they all have the same agents now. And, you know, and they all play in the same celebrity golf tournaments and they're all on Instagram together and so forth. So there is a, uh, there, there is a camaraderie uh, among professional athletes that didn't exist um, back in the day. And, uh, you know, Joe Torre, the uh, Hall of Fame manager, you know, talks about uh, playing in his first All-Star game as a young player with the Milwaukee Braves, I think. And, and here he is, an All-Star, and he walks in the clubhouse, and Bob Gibson is his, quote-unquote, All-Star teammate. And Gibson wasn't talking to anybody. Gibson was there representing the Cardinals as an All-Star, but he looks around and he sees, you know, one Marichal and Koufax and Ernie Banks and all these guys. These are the guys I'm trying to beat. I'm not going to cozy up to you just because, you know, that, that's, you know, it, I mean, that's the stark example. But in many cases, uh, that's the way it was. And you didn't have the, the level of fraternization. Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many times David Ortiz, his last years with the Red Sox, I'd be over at Fenway and the, the players come out of the dugouts to stretch. And Ortiz is behind the batting cage. And the visiting team is, you know, between the third base dugout and the cage stretching. And one player after another is getting up and hugging David Ortiz. These are the opposing players. And, you know, I just, you know, trying to imagine, um, you know, Jim Northrup or something. You know what? Up, maybe maybe Lambert. To and hugging him the maybe game. Lambert
1: was the last big villain. Or maybe maybe even LeBron James was the greatest hero and villain at the same time.
2: You know, we, we still have, you know, A-Rod was certainly a villain. Uh, when he, maybe not so much when he was at Texas and Seattle, but he was certainly a villain when he went to the, uh, to the New York Yankees. Um, I think Kachuk uh, from, from the Florida Panthers emerged as a villain of sorts because he was, he was shoving some people around without retribution, I might add, during the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, if, there's, if you're asking if there's a Rambus, I mean, Ulfie Samuelson with what he did to Neely back in 1991, I think it was, um, no, we don't have villains to the degree. And by the way, I, I once wrote a column on how there's different kinds of booing. And you you, know, you can boo your guy because he's not performing well. You can boo another guy because he just threw a pitch at your batter. And then there's guys you boo with respect. And, and at the top of that list from me, going back to when I was in high school and college, was Reggie. And I mean, there was nothing on this earth more fun than booing Reggie when he came up to the Yankees. And he came out, boo! But it was fun. I mean, and years later, when he retired, I think he was in 87, he went back to Oakland for one final year as a DH and uh, sort of like Eck playing with the Red Sox his last year. So Reggie goes back to the A's for his final year. And he's sort of a shell of his former self, part-time player. He's just there as sort of a gate attraction and come home, wave. And I remember we were in the Coliseum uh, early in the season and I saw him and I realized this was the last year. And here I am by this point, I'm a 32 year old sports writer, beat writer. And I, it was kind of sad because I, I realized how much I loved booing Reggie when I was uh, at UMass and growing up in Cambridge and he was with the Yankees and, and now he's this old guy and I'm a sports writer. And uh, those are the kind of guys that brought so much fun to the game. And if you can't, if you're a fan who can't identify with what I just said, uh, then you're not really a fan. If you if you rejoiced with guys like Reggie leaving the game, then you're missing the entire point of why we follow sports.
1: Same thing with Koozie in his last uh, celebration at the Boston Garden when the fan yelled out, we love you, Kooz. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. know, it, it resonated throughout the whole building. Sure, it, everybody, absolutely. Everybody knew it.
0: Yep. You know, I... Um, Jerry Remy probably told you guys the same story, but I want to say let's pick a year, 78. So, Remy and Mickey Rivers used to be teammates on the California Angels. Angels, yeah. Rivers was a center fielder for the Yankees, Remy was a second baseman for the Red Sox. And during batting practice, Remy went over on the other side of the cage and just caught up with Mickey Rivers. Carlton Fisk goes like this, grabs him over, says, What are you doing? well i used to play with him and then he goes we don't do that around here get yeah. back on outside of the cage and that was great i mean I, I would love to see it we we all see the same fraternization but uh it's
2: a love fest before it yeah. began yeah you know that just reminded me of uh i think bob you might know this because uh the late jerry moses would do the um when channel four had the friday night baseball and uh you graciously hired me and, and jerry moses i think rico to do those Friday night postgames. Oh, gracious. I
1: was desperate.
2: And that's a fair point. And uh, on the roof of the Hotel Commonwealth, which is the old Somerset in Kenmore Square. And we were talking one night and we got talking about the Munson Fist brawl at home plate at Yankee Stadium. And, and I was listening and then all of a sudden it occurred to me because I had written this when Munson gets thrown out of the game, who do you think replaces him behind the plate for the Yankees? Jerry Moses, who came up all through the minor leagues, in the first three or four years in the big leagues, and he gets traded to the Angels, goes to the Cubs or whatever, ends up with the Yankees within a year and a half. And like all his teammates, or the guys he played with in Pittsfield and Whoa. Elmira, all of his places he played. And all of a sudden, he's got a he's in the middle of a brawl. Look at that.
1: He's what happened?
0: You're frozen, Bob.
1: I'm frozen. You're frozen.
0: Buck is frozen.
1: Okay, Steve. You're right back. You're back, Steve. I'm back. All right. All right
0: so we, so we, yeah. uh, he froze oh. quickly when you're talking about uh, Moses worked his way through Pittsfield and everything. He yeah, I mean, that. But,
2: the, the, that, that, but when he was in the big leagues, he was playing for the Yankees. And the Yankees and Red Sox have this huge brawl at Fenway Park. And it's yeah. one, it wasn't like a – you know, everyone kind of shoving it. This this was haymakers and this was this was big time. And Moses was was out there and he ended up replacing Munson when Munson got thrown out of the game. But Moses was, you know, how do you throw a haymaker at, you know, Yaz yes, or, you know, guys that you came up through Bob McGonner, Fisk, I don't know who else was out there. But um but you know that that's that's one of those things about when you're a baseball player or any on any team, you go to another team and you end up in these practices like that. Um, but it's like Bob, both you guys said, the fraternization is at a level now. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's what is that that kind of thing didn't exist back in the day.
0: All right, folks. Uh, Steve Buckley of The Athletic is our guest. And uh, I hope you're hungry, Steve, because uh, we want to talk about burgers. You're going to fill it right after this. Grilling season is here in New England. And you know what that means? It's time for a box of our best burgers in your freezer. You got a box there, Bob?
1: Here, here, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Lynch. Sir.
0: Whether you're in your backyard or off on a weekend adventure, enjoy flavorful burgers from our best for lunch and for dinner. There our is. best burgers have been a New England staple for over 40 years, connecting family and friends with great quality food.
1: There's your Hall of Fame picture, Mike. It's going in the Hall of Fame.
0: That's right. i will tell a story again for the 50th time, Bob. No, don't do that. Just, uh, well, no, Buck needs to hear this. They're affordable, convenient, and most of all, they're delicious. Look for the Smiling Chef. There he is right there. And we've nicknamed the Smiling Chef, uh, Buck, Pablo Bell. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. Look for the Smiling Chef on every package in your local grocer's freezer aisle. For great recipes and money-saving coupons, go to ourbestfoods.com. We love Our Best Foods. We love the people over there. We love the burgers and the meatballs. Okay. So you look for the Smiling Chef, Buck, when you go to your uh, local grocer. And we nicknamed the chef Pop. Oh, let me Cohen. tell a
1: story, Mike. I'll, 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 let me tell a story quick. All right. Tell story. <laughs> All right. Winter Haven. You've been there many times. Many Go- times. Florida Garden All Paradise. Garden Paradise in Central Florida. Cypress Gardens. Gaudy Rhines. Gaudy. Rowdy uh, uh, Gaines. Rowdy Gaines. Whatever you know. Blah blah blah. Holiday Inn Winter Haven. Check in. No reservation for Bob Lobel. A lot of reservations for. You know, Tom Raycamp and Alan Miller and, and Mike Lynch and his group and everything else. So somewhere down the list, they found a Pablo Bell. And that's where it was. Pablo Bell. That's the end of that story.
2: So Pop, the real Pablo Bell ended up having to drive to Lakeland for a hotel room because you stole yeah. his room?
1: I apparently am now the real Pablo Bell. Used to be Bob, but my parents were a little surprised. Came home from school. My mom.
2: Spanish. Pablo. <laughs> so I, I can never go through life now not thinking you as Pablo Bell.
1: No, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I no, would Pope- discourage I would discourage that. You know,
2: it's you know funny what? you mention you, you mentioned Holiday because at one point that was the only hotel import in Waterhaven. Yes it and was and uh i think there's there there may be another one now but uh i always i always whenever I think of the holiday in winterhaven i think of uh fellow cuz he used to he used to hold court down there every night and uh and for those who don't know he was the longtime pa voice at fenway and uh he'd just sit there all night and just tell the same stories and people would come and go and he just kept going on and on and on <laughs> and um and that was my that's my big winterhaven memory
0: I always said they had, uh, like, players had their families sitting around the pool, and you could yeah. lounge and talk to.
1: Oh, Stanley you know, used to have Joni and his family right sitting yeah. every night. It used to be a ritual out there. Used, yeah. You know, yeah. To, uh,
0: we do yeah, it, yeah. sure, you know? And uh, it was, yeah, it was it was really a great place. It was a um, uh, Howard Johnson's right next door. They used to have karaoke there, and a lot of the players used to come over and sing karaoke, uh, but they didn't want us to bring. Uh, <laughs> any cameras over there. And we didn't. No. Uh, we had done enough work. Today. Typical,
1: you know, typical Box and those people. I mean, how,
0: you know, did, I, I how get, they rule the roost? Those guys, they
1: ruled it. <laughs> Box didn't want you there. You didn't go there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, when they moved to Fort Myers, um, we were flying down to Fort Myers one day and I was like in row 25 and Buck was like in row two. And Buck walks down the back of the plane and he sees me. Now, we're like probably two hours into the flight. And he stops. He looks at me. He goes, hey, have you been here the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) No, Buck. I was airlifted in over uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, uh, I
2: mean, obviously, it's a stupid thing to say. And and you've gotten plenty of mileage out of it at banquets. And I thank you for that. Um, But the the logic behind it is that I, I am one of those guys that has to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes when I'm on a plane. And it, it, it's not like an old guy thing. It was like that 40 years ago. When I'm on a plane, I have to go, because I drink a lot of coffee and water. And I must have walked up and down that aisle three times.
0: And you never saw me.
2: Like
1: right now, you have to go to the bathroom. So you stop the video, you got up, and you're going to go away, for five, right? And he will come back in a few minutes, and it'll be just prediction, right? But here he comes. Okay. Welcome back, Mike. Is, it, is this you, you guys, guys or me? No, no, that was you. That was you. You went to the bathroom. You, you don't remember it, but yeah, <laughs> no. The
2: but I, but I must have walked by Lynchy five times, and when I saw him, my thought was, "Wait, a minute, I've walked by here all these times. Why haven't I seen him until now?" So it was in that spirit that I said, "If you've been here the whole time, maybe you, you were in the front bathroom. I don't know." So, <laughs> but it, but that, that did actually happen. Yes. <laughs> so,
0: Buck, let me ask you this: Is it as, is it as much? fun covering the, the Boston sports scene now as it was 5 10 20 30 years ago
2: um, it's as much fun as it used to be but it isn't as interesting and, and let me explain it's it's as much fun as it's ever been because I mean in my case I've gone from the Herald to the athletic um, and and they if I may the athletic is a, is, a, is a pretty good organization and the, the amount of money they, they spend on things and uh, what they pay me is great. And I don't have the same deadlines I used to have. So I get to spend extra time on stories. So in, in that spirit, it's as much fun as it's ever been. It's not always as interesting as it's been for sort of some of the reasons we described earlier where um, like David Ortiz would talk at his locker. And I always used to do this thing. And Otis, in fact, used to kid me about it. Like we'd be like 15, 20 guys and be, you know, me and globe guy and, you know, Roachy and Mike Dowling, whoever we'd all be, you know. And then the thing would kind of dissipate. and We'd all kind of move in. And I would make a little circle and come right back. And I would say, let me just ask you one more, you know, like Peter Falk and Columbo. Ah, let me just ask you one more question. And I, and I had one question I wanted to ask a player solely for a column that I was writing that I, that I was going to build a column around this answer, and I didn't want to share it with all of the other media. It's harder to do that now because a lot of times they bring them in and sit them at tables, and, and you, they hand you the microphone, and you have to say, I'm Steve Buckley the Athletic. And then when it's over, there's some PR person off on the side. All right, thank you very much. And the play gets up down the little stairs and off behind the curtain. So that's what makes it less interesting. I haven't said that. I, I actually had a moment uh, today. I was down at Gillette and Ramondre Stevenson is talking to 25 people and he stepped away from the, the little podium, but because it was outside, I went right up next to him and I said, can I ask you one more question? And it was like, to me, it was like the old days. And he said, sure. And we wandered off. And in fairness, I, I ran this by Stacy James and the Patriots can I get him alone for one second? So he didn't jump in and hey. And I asked him a completely different set of questions that the other people, and I haven't written this yet. I'm going to write it as soon as this ends and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but it'll be a little different just because in, you're able to do that. And in the old days, that was the norm. Uh, if, if you were the veteran writer, Chances are you were going to get better stuff because you felt more comfortable and you had relationships. Now you remember, I I would come down in my early days in Portland, Maine. Uh, I worked at the Portland Press Herald, and I didn't know anybody, and the players didn't know me. And I used to marvel at the fact that uh, Joe Giliotti from the Herald and the late Larry Whiteside from the Globe could just walk in to the manager's office and talk to Don Zimmer, and like ask that extra question. And I remember I tried that once, and, you know, Zim and I became great friends later on, uh, I mean, years later. Uh, But back then, I was just some kid from Maine. He's like, what the hell are you doing? Like that. And uh, there there was definitely an advantage to being a a veteran writer who had spent more time with the team. Uh, But because of the way things are set up now, you don't always get that advantage doesn't play out. And you got to work a little harder to get more interesting stories. And you know, some some people, some people can get around that. We you know we have a few people at the athletic. Chad Jennings and um, Jen McCaffrey are really good at get going up to plays. Rob Bradford is good at it. Uh, Sean McAdam. There there are there are ways to get around that, but it's a little harder than it used to be.
1: I got a question. Who's that? Let's two things. The picture on the wall behind you is that a team picture or a picture of Cups or is uh, when's the first? When's, do you remember? Oh, that's a, that's a movie poster. Um, you remember the first time we were on television together,
2: Steve? I, <laughs> are you talking about that movie poster?
1: No, but I will.
2: Oh, that's a movie called Soul of a Game, um, written by uh, uh, Swampscott's own David Himmelstein, um, uh, a Bowdoin graduate via Swampscott High School, good friend of mine, and that's a movie he wrote for hbo about the old negro leagues and there is a character in that movie a scout for the brooklyn dodgers and you can look it up at imdb it's called soul of the game and there is a a character in the movie named steve buckley was a scout with the brooklyn dodgers and that's why uh, i've got that in my little den back there and what about uh, the team picture next to it the team that's actually a panoramic shot of portland maine okay Uh, uh, that was a gift to me when I left the Press Herald to go out to Seattle. So the first time I was ever on TV with Bob LaBelle was prior to Game 3 of the 1983 World Series uh, at Fenway Park. First two games were done at Shea. And in Game 3, uh, again, I was a little kid up in Portland, Maine still. In fact, this was the. it was just literally two months later I got hired out in Seattle. But I was walking behind home plate in the warning track. Uh, to what the first base dugout, the little door is to go up through the gate up to the press box. And I walked right between the Channel 4 camera, <laughs> which was in front of the net, and Bob LaBelle, who was interviewing Joe Garagiola from NDC. And uh, of course, it'd be hard that.
1: to spot us, right? It'd be hard to spot us, the camera, and, Garagiola.
2: And, and I believe Channel 4 was an NDC affiliate at the time. And, and I walked right between. There's LaBelle and Garagiola and, and, the, and the camera. And so there I was, live at six on, uh, on Channel 4. And you said, oh, thanks very much for the help. And I believe Joe Garagiola said, good evening. And, and of course, I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. And, and, you know, when you're young and you're up in Portland, Maine, and you're, you're you know, from Boston, from Cambridge, but I wanted to work in the big market, and I said, well, this is it. Like, Bob LaBelle's going to blackball me. And I call it, <laughs> like, this guy will never work in Boston. And then I literally saw you, like, the next day or later on. You went, hey, how you doing? And, like, it never happened. And I was like, oh. And I, I was that so. That was pretty funny. I was, was pretty funny. I was so friggin' worried about that, that they were going to throw me out of the boat.
1: I remember I remember He He's the perfect guy to have on there because he would always have some kind of response. Yeah, like that. Like, <laughs>
2: I don't suppose you guys have tape that goes back that far, do you? Because I'd love
0: to huh. see that. Uh, that. I'll take that as a no. Well, no. The only one that uh, is they 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 have a um, what they call a blooper reel. They usually run it at the Christmas party, and that would be on the blooper reel for right, that year. Right. Right. Um, wouldn't be on something that they'd save. Make
2: they...
0: that
1: what? Do you ever make the blooper reel?
0: Uh, I did. There's did a couple
2: things. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, so I used to work at uh, what is now NBC Sports. Before that, it was Fox Sports, New England, and Comcast, and so on, these different names. So there was, so Sean McAdam and I worked for them, and we were waiting to do a, a hit live to tape, and it was pouring out, and they're trying to get ready up in Burlington they're going to throw it down. And uh, and I we're just sitting there in the rain, holding the microphones, wait, and, I, and it ended up on their blooper reel, it was the, the Christmas reel, I think they used to call it. Yeah. And uh, I think I said something like, "Do those effing idiots up there know it's raining here?" And and of course they got a big kick out of that. So <laughs> whatever.
0: I'm sure <laughs> they did. <laughs> we we had um, remember when uh, Kraft was going to he, he he had an agreement with the Conne- uh, governor of Connecticut to move the Patriots to Hartford.
2: Governor Rowland, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that thing was like done deal. So I was doing a live shot from our newsroom with the anchors in the New Haven station because we didn't have an affiliate in Hartford. We had one in, in New Haven. Now, before, now backtracking, the school board reached WCBB 3,650 and WTNH New Haven zero. They never did one. Friggin' thing for us every time we <laughs> called up remember the Celtics used to play five games a year in Hartford right Hartford yeah and so like the, the would have sound Dean would have sound I said oh did you get to get some sound but Bird scored 51 tonight no we didn't go Ugh. you get we got the Harvard deal islets no we don't have them. so I'm like so pissed off at them so now I'm to do the live shot with it why are we doing the live shot with these a-holes, I said, you know, they stuck it up our ass so many times, they've done absolutely nothing for them. F them, screw them, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Of course, everybody in the station in New Haven heard every word I'm saying. Yeah. So now Jack Hopper has to go down the next day and do a story with the New Haven affiliate. It must have gone over well. It, it, Harper calls me up and he goes, what the hell did you do to these people? He said, I can't get a guy to pick his camera up. I can't get a guy to shoot anything. I can't get that. They're saying, lynch this, lynch that, F this, F that. Thanks a lot, Mike. You know, click, hung up the phone. That was my lesson, keep your mouth shut
2: with an open microphone. You know, this just reminded me of a funny story that uh, five years ago, I think, when you were stepping down at five, I did a piece for The Athletic. It was a oral history with, with Bob, you, and John Dennis, Channel 7. And that, there's a picture right there. The, I mean, <laughs> the three amigos. And one of the things I learned, I guess I knew it, but hadn't really thought about it, but Dino was telling a story about in, in the 80s uh, going down to Winterhaven, and that you guys would do interviews in the morning, and you would have to send someone out to the airport at Tampa or Orlando and fly the film to Boston. So that they could air these interviews in the six o'clock sports. And that sounds like, by today's standards, that sounds like the Pony Express. It where, happened. Where you could, like, I could do a live interview on my phone now. Yep. And, oh, you had the,
1: uh, Orlando, you may remember, had a Quonset hut. The Orlando was airport was a Quonset hut
2: on the side of the road. And
1: yeah. that's where you, you deliver it to Delta Dash. Delta, now, Dash.
2: Delta Dash. That's what Dino told me. Yeah. Yes.
1: Delta Dash. Cool. Yeah. Fact get the tape there by 11, it'll be in Boston by three or something. I don't know, whatever. No.
2: Yeah. Well, if Dino. Dino's, I, you'd have to go back and read the story. I think the story Dino told me was that it was his first year doing it. And the cameraman told him, he says, so the way we do it is we alternate every other day. You'll take the film up to Orlando, then I will, then you will. Well, that was not the way they were doing it. It was the cameraman's job to lug the film up there. And whoever the shooter was, uh, who whose name I forget, but I actually interviewed him he, he's down in the South Shore, he was then. And, and he said, Yeah, that's what I did. And uh, so he's got poor Dino driving out to Orlando with film. And, you know, he's this, you know, pretty boy with the hair and everything in the <laughs> tie. And he's got. He doesn't know, sound like his- him at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I don't know if you remember, but you you told me a great story, Lynchy, about uh, I think Dick Dunham had a camera mishap. And I think it was Ray Borknight with the sweaters. And. You, you missed the Esposito interview or the Bork interview and you call if I have it, you called, uh, LaBelle and said, look, can we borrow the, you know, the, the, the uh, the video. So just for B-roll for my hit and, and so forth. And Bob being gracious guy, sort of throw it, threw it in the cab, and dubbed it over and sent it over. And I remember, uh, asking, uh, Bob, I said, so if Dino had called, would you have said yes? And, uh, and you said, your answer was, I suppose if he asked nicely, I would have. And, um, and so, of course, I called Dino. And I said, well, geez, I have to run this by you. And uh, it, 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 it was good stuff because it made the oral history because I was uh, writing together all these quotes to make a narrative. And, and Dino's response to that was, you know, something clever. And then I had myself a little snowball rolling down the hill. I, I love that.
1: That sounds like a good story.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: funny. Very funny. All right, hey, what do you, how do you explain uh, Cassidy? How do you, you explain? Have, how
0: do you, you explain Cassidy? Uh, we got the. Uh, oh yeah. Full string RV. Hop We're on. We're really good at this, but We're really. This is really. Huh? We got it.
1: Let's let's hop on the pony and ride. <laughs> okay, campers. Not only am I talking to you as campers, I'm talking to you as prospective builders of campers and fixers of campers. But first of all, now is the time to see a selection, fantastic selection of travel trailers, fifth wheelers, motorhomes, pop-ups, and park models. Cold Springs RV and where New Hampshire, Mike, the doors yeah, where is it? are open and you can likely browse. You know where it is, Buck, right? Where New Hampshire?
2: Yes, I do. Of course you do.
1: Check out the deals at ColdSpringsRV.com. But did you know, did you know, and I bet you didn't know that Cold Springs RV is one of the region's largest state-of-the-art service centers? They can teach you if you have the interest in being taught. A new career is looming. Cold Springs RV is Great benefits and positions open at their Pro RV Service Center. So, have you ever thought about becoming an auto technician? Uh, they are ready to train you in the best possible way. Learn more at teamcoalsprings.com. You will thank us profusely many, many years in the future.
0: Oh, well, let's, let's do that before we get into the Bruce Cassidy thing. Uh, the, we... You know, John Madden had the Madden Cruiser. Well, Cold Springs RV is going to build a Loby Cruiser, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's still it's still in it, it's still being built. But when it's built, everybody that's on the show is going to get a ride cross country free. But you have to bring with you some sports figure, past, present, alive or dead, that you would like to ride cross country with and have a conversation with. And Who would it be for you, Bud?
2: Uh- I'm torn because I've been asked this before. Like, who would I want to have a beer with kind of thing. Yeah. And I always go back and forth depending on my mood or the audience. Uh, Babe Ruth or Satchel Paige. Uh, Babe Ruth because he, he lived a very hard, adventurous life. And I don't think we can even comprehend today how popular and how well-known he was. Uh, back in the 1920s, and you know we all know about his vices between alcohol and women and tobacco and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but he was just such an interesting guy. And of course, Satchel Page is arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, playing during the days of segregation. And he was a wildly popular personality in his world, who was such that he he transitioned into the to the white world. Uh, in terms of media, and <clears throat> even when I was, you know, he was since playing this a long over, uh, by the time I was coming of age, but you'd see him on What's My Line, and to tell the truth, and on talk shows and stuff, he was an, em- he, he, and I'm thinking of myself then, like wow, if he if he's so special that he that in his older age he's appearing on all these programs, like how special must he have been in the 1930s and 1940s, and. Um, as some of you may know, as a, as a publicity stunt, Charlie Finley uh, activated him in 1965, and, and he pitched, I think, three shutout innings against the Red Sox. And the last batter ever to get a hit off, off of uh, Satchel Page was Cody Stremski. Right. And the last strikeout that Satchel Page ever had was my dear friend who I used to work out with in the gym over at Tufts University, Bill Monbouquet from uh, Bedford. And Mambouquet was the opposing pitcher in that game, and uh, Satchel struck him out. So Bill Mambouquet, a pitcher, got to go through life saying, "I was Satchel Pager's last strikeout." And uh, but I was always attracted. There was a there was a great biography, um, and I forget the name. It was a former Globe writer that wrote it. Oh,
0: there we go again.
1: Yeah, bathroom
0: break. Bathroom break.
1: It's okay.
0: It's only. Knows? He's good. he gets five okay. Okay. Right. Well, here we come. Here he comes. Hello. Come yeah.
2: So that's that's my. I, I'm torn between Babe Ruth and Satchel Page, is okay. my answer.
0: That's a pretty good one.
2: What, if, good what have one. others said?
0: Uh, a lot of them have said Belichick. Parcells.
2: Parcells. I'd be driving the bus off the road at some point. <laughs> I don't think anything against Bill, but it's just, he, he's just. Uh, I, I think a little bit of Bill goes a long way, I guess. Yeah, yeah that was it took so Lindsey
1: on, but that's that she was out. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> although in defense of anyone who would pick Belichick, uh, as I as I rethink that, his his knowledge of football history is second to none, and I, I'm guessing in that kind of environment that he'd be really good telling about the Canton Bulldogs and Red Grange and you know early 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 football because he's a student of the history of the game, and I bet. He's got some some very interesting stories he could share.
1: Who's the best owner we have now?
2: I think Robert Kraft. You know. Uh, he, he built the stadium largely with private funds. Uh, he's been a solid citizen on the philanthropic front. I think ownership is generally pretty good. I mean, For all the, the crap that John Henry and Tom Warner have, they they did win four World Series here in County. They renovated Fenway Park. And things don't look good now, I grant that. Um, but they also built up the Red Sox Foundation, and uh, not to get. them break again.
1: Oh, wow. Good
0: thing he has us there, because technical.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Now, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> Help. You're in charge. All right, Buck. Either change them or arrange them. Okay, you want to finish the sentence? The Red, you know, the Red Sox have done a good job. They built up Fenway Park, the <laughs> foundation. And go ahead, Steve, finish off. I'm. say no, just I I, I,
2: that John Henry kept the globe going, and uh, and I also with Roseback and Steve because they are local. And the, the 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 one mark against the Jacobs family is I think Charlie kind of lives here, but but they are not local ownership in, in the grand scheme of things. And I take a lot of stock in the fact that John Henry has, you know, I'm sure he spends a lot of time elsewhere, but for all practical purposes, he bought a place here. He settled here. Uh, Larry Laquino when he was running the Red Sox had a place up in Chestnut Hill. I, I was at his house a few times. Um, uh, Wick lives here. Steve Peckley lives here. Obviously Robert Kraft spends, I know he's got a place down in South Florida now, but he's, Born and raised on Fuller Street in Brookline and is as local an owner as we've ever had.
1: How do you explain something like Cassidy? How do you explain? Uh, uh, it's a hell of a
2: story, actually. I mean, I think uh,
1: is it underplayed. Nobody really seems to be. I mean, no, I think
2: it's getting. You know, it's it's. It's, it's getting just, there, but
1: it's not like really there.
2: No, it's not like, I, mean, I think it, it didn't get played during the season because the Bruins were busily. Running up the best record in the history. It's not of- like Tom yeah. Brady
1: going and winning a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. It's like no, it's Cassidy not, going to I mean, Stanley I mean, Cup with the, uh, Las no, Vegas.
2: Yeah, but no, no disrespect to Bruce Cassidy, but he's not Tom Brady. He's a coach, and you know he's not like an iconic local figure. And Cassidy never won a championship in Boston, whereas Brady won four Super Bowls. So, um, it, or is it six Super Bowls? I get mixed up. Six Super Bowls, and. Um, yeah, three and three, two different dynasties. And um, but no, Cassidy is great. Listen, the the, the Bruins didn't want a hard ass as coach, and they moved Cassidy out to a team that presumably needed a hard ass, and they brought in Jim Montgomery. And I like Jim. Uh I think it's a great story. He's a recovering alcoholic, and they Bruins took a chance on him, and he did great things during the regular season. But one could argue he lifted his foot off the gas pedal a little bit in the postseason. And um uh, and, and I yield to the real hockey writers here, the Stevie Conroy and the Herald, and uh, Flourish and Zowers and McGlow from the Athletic and so forth, that all of them were writing that, hey, there's this a goaltending situation here. And, and he stuck with all home for six games and finally went to Swayman. And um, one could argue should have done that earlier. And and in retrospect, uh, Montgomery is now saying, yeah, I should have, you know, I should have had a V8. He should have done that. So.
0: But it's has been a baseball town. When did it turn into a football town? And will it ever be a baseball town again?
2: Um, it may yet be a baseball town. I mean, the, 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 the interest in football is, has waned a little bit since uh, Brady left. But, but certainly that old one. Listen, they made it to the Super Bowl in 85. <clears throat> it was very exciting, squished the fish and all that. You guys were down there. I was still up in Maine. Um, but that didn't turn it into a football town. Uh, they made it again in 96, you know, with, with Parcells and Bledsoe that didn't really do it. Although Kraft had owned the team by then and they were selling out. Um, I I still say, by the way, that that the three most important figures in Patriots history in no particular order are Kraft, Bledsoe and Parcells. And and I'm not being mean to Brady and Belichick, but, but, but that solid local ownership, a, big league NFL coach and a real true number one quarterback, which they hadn't really had since Grogan. Those three combined, it was on the basis of what they were doing that Kraft felt inspired to, to build Gillette stadium. And, uh, but when did it become a football time? was, was halfway through that all one season.
1: You know, I think I'm going to just quickly throw this out and then, and then I'll I'll congratulate you on doing a great job and we're. I speak for Mike, I when know, I know he feels this way. We're happy we're able to make it today in a big way. That Boston is a sports town, well-renowned. We're all very proud of the fact that uh, we were involved in sports in Boston in its heyday, in its low, low periods, in its up periods, uh, in its glory, in its tragedies. But I think it has to do with everybody, not only the teams, the players, the owners, the characters that were the coaches, but also the media that served it. That's that's what makes the town the town. That's what makes Boston Boston, that whole conglomeration. And and I'll throw the media people in there as well, because there were a bunch of characters that occupied the seats that we sat in. And night after night, doing what we did, night after night, not – you know, don't break your arm. Patting yourself on the back, Bob. Just night after night, just throwing a shit out there, and then having fun doing it. And saying, you know, why can't we get players like that? <laughs> just, you know, just having fun. But it was all part of the whole lore of, you know, of sports being fun. And, well, uh,
2: my, to, to, to that I would add: where would we be without Mike Lynch's high-five segments and without Bob LaBelle's panic button?
1: That's 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 it right there. <laughs> well, there you go. I I I don't say, you know, I don't say that because of those things. I say that I say that we were very fortunate to have been part of those things. So You know,
0: there was a time, Buck, I'm sure you remember it, where an interview like this and our relationship all being friends might not have happened between the electronic media and the print media.
2: No 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 you are 100% correct.
0: There was there was a frosty relationship there
2: because the print guys regarded themselves as the frontline soldiers who were there to get news whereas the TV people were blow dry pretty boys uh, just there to to <laughs> This is where do them. that Mike come on yeah and uh, and that, that was number one reason they ate the TV people and 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 number two you, you, you had guys like Dick Dunham shoving those cameras in the, in the back. And, and uh, uh, was it Pablo over at Channel 7 was a big guy. And, yeah. and it, 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 it like every cameraman in those days was John Hanna. And, and I don't know if that was done intentionally, but, you know, you're there trying to talk to Yaz or someone. And then you get the camera in the back of the head. Oh. And uh, so, no, that was not a not, – and, and, of course, you wanted to get your little one-shot shot and and your little one-on-one and you ask stupid questions and uh and 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 we all hated each other now we didn't know then that there would come a time when you would would partner up with us and then pay us to come on Pay, you, pay shows.
1: you. the key word was pay you
2: and uh you know i i, That's I hated, how time you
1: got around to that
2: i i did have bob to wait to the third paragraph and you know i hated bob labelle until he started to pay me to make a seven-minute drive from my house to Soldiers Field Road to to appear on TV for 15 minutes. And uh, all of a sudden we were great buddies. <laughs> there you go. He heal, was, the heal the
0: world. We we heal the world. Barking dogs, they used to call
2: yeah. us. Barking <laughs> dogs. <laughs> but, uh, but you have, I mean, some of it was, it was rip, rip Rip was Zeppa on Channel Seven, uh, you know, breaking the egg on his head, and uh, yeah. and and seven had a had a an anchor. Who was impossibly good-looking? I mean, the hair and them, and he was like, "Good evening." And he had, and he couldn't find his way from the State House to Park Street. Under I mean, it was and he was some guy from Oklahoma they brought in Denver out. hotel room guy. That was that guy. That, that was that guy. Yes, yeah. that was that guy. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That, that the ad campaign. We found him in a hotel room in Kansas or something. And uh, yes, and uh, I forget his name, but but I mean, that was the wild wild west in those days. That was fun stuff.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. It, was uh, uh, and it And it was tough. I mean, and, and it was well founded. A lot of it stuff because some of the photogs were, you know, their, their manners weren't great, and uh, they were trying to get in position. And I saw a lot of you guys. And that does that does not tickle. By the way, to get one of those battery packs hitting you in the, front of the head. <laughs> you, you don't. Yes. Yeah. And um, but we didn't know what else to do. I mean, we had to get you know, you know, Kaya Strumsky or Carlton Fisk is talking or. You know, um, we didn't know what else to do. We just had to get in there in the scrum with everybody else. Yeah,
2: and 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 clearly in the mid '80s, when and again, if you didn't live it, you couldn't possibly fathom what the six and eleven news meant in the market in all markets in those days. And it didn't go unnoticed by me as a, as a young sports writer that 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 after a while, the players seemed a lot more willing to step out of the scrum. And, and do a hit with you guys, whereas they wouldn't do it with guys like me. But they, they recognize that in terms of marketing and all that, that, that being on channel four, being on channel five, being on channel seven was, was to their advantage because uh, that's the power and the heft that you guys had in those days. Well,
1: this, Mike, uh, tomorrow or on Thursday, you'll be introduced in, into the uh, New England Broadcasters Hall of Fame at it's the Marriott in Quincy.
0: That's right. Yeah,
1: uh, and it starts at eleven thirty, and tickets are
0: available. So, <laughs> so. plenty of t- plenty of good seats still available. <laughs> I'll Say that. I
1: said tickets are available.
0: <laughs> hey, so, we're gonna talk about our good friend George Gray right now. You know, no. if you're thinking about a new vehicle, you want to get out of the Hall of Fame dinner. Well, there's only, we're only one place to go. Go where we all go. go George, see our don't get
1: him a new car for his Hall of Fame appearance. Go.
0: <laughs> go see our good friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years. We know George Gray, and we know him personally, and he'll treat you right. They're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust, and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. It's a great place. George is a great guy. Yeah, they're a- right
2: on Mass Ave.
0: Right on Mass Ave. 409 yeah. Mass Ave. Yep. Yeah,
2: I know. I brought my car there. I have a Toyota. I brought my car there in the past. They, yeah. uh, great they service. Are literally, if you want to walk there from Cambridge or Somerville or Arlington, the, the Minuteman Bike Show is literally right behind their parking lot.
0: It is behind their parking lot. Absolutely yeah. right. A lot of times when I uh, get my oil change or something, I go for a walk. I used to go for a run on that, yeah. uh, that bike. bike, bike. <clears throat> it's a great, uh, you don't even know what's there. Yeah, um, it's weird. It's, yeah, everything. Yeah, but it's great. All right, Buck. What else you got? Anything else you want to lay on us? Well, or?
2: I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that the 28th annual all Time Baseball Game. Oh is, yeah, is Thursday, August 24th at St. Peter's Field in Cambridge. Okay. And uh, you know the old style uniforms a little yep. bit. And uh, I haven't even announced this yet, but I'll, I'll share it with you guys. Uh, Fred Lynn is going to make an appearance. Oh, really. Uh, as you know, we've had Roger Clemens, yep. Pedro Martinez, yep. Lou Maloney uh, has been a great friend of our game over the years. We've had uh, Tim Jim Wakefield, Lombard. Ray Bork, Jim Lomborg. Jim Lomborg at age 73 pitched an inning thanks. and miraculously pitched a shutout inning thanks to, frankly, a couple of line drives hit at people, which came in handy. Um, Fred's just had the double knee replacement, so he will not be patrolling center field at St. Peter's Field, but uh, he will be there. The game will be a benefit uh, for the Boston Home, which is on Dot Ave in Dorchester. It is a treatment facility for adult patients with multiple sclerosis. And the reason we chose them is because a, a kid from Arlington via uh, WPI, a very good pitcher, got diagnosed with MS while he was in college, and it kind of put the skins on his college career. He still pitches in inner city league. But, you know, he might have had better luck if he had, had full health. But he has MS, and he's going to be sort of the point person. Uh, his name is Aiden Freeberg and from Arlington uh, via WPS, and we're doing it as a fundraiser for the Boston home um, with uh, with Aiden Freeberg, he's going to pitch an inning in the game again this year. And, uh, and again, if you've never been there, we've got 60 players, mostly college players, a few older, some younger. Um and we have 60 old time flannel uniforms, Negro league uniforms, Brooklyn Dodgers unit, Boston Braves. Uh, and they're hundred percent wool. We use them once a year just for the game. And they're the, 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 uh, the atmosphere is, you know, old period music, uh, six umpires, the crowd along the field is mostly festival seating. It's a, it's a very fun event. I am one of about 50 people uh, who puts this game on and, uh, the, the difference being I get to talk about it with nice people so it's a it's a very fun event what what year uh, what year are you in now? I believe this is our twenty eighth it's uh, we missed one year we missed one year because of the pandemic in twenty yeah. and uh, the city wouldn't let us have the game that year we all we did have a bounce back game in twenty one but we did not do it as a fundraiser we just wanted to get the game back up on its feet and so we had the game and, and then last year was more in keeping with what the game and and this year will be a all oh, the bells and whistles this year. It'll be a big game. August twenty fourth, seven o'clock St. Peter's Field.
0: Awesome. Awesome. It's a great time.
2: Oohie, what do you got?
1: Just trying to check out uh one last picture that I can't find. So I wanna say it was a picture of uh Thurman Munson going into Fisk and, and <laughs> the whole story was that Jerry Moses was yeah. the last, that was that was this that was the the uh, fact of the day right there.
2: Yeah. Well, Jer- Jerry had kind of a, um, uh, mm-hmm. what's the Tom Hanks movie where he appears in all these famous scenes, uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. And, and you know, Jerry Moses was a member of the 67 Red Sox, even though he never appeared in a game. Yeah, he, right. he got called up late in the season and he hung around for three weeks and Dick Williams, he mostly warmed up pitchers in the bullpen, but he was on the active roster and he got an American League pennant ring, and he is considered, for bookkeeping purposes, a member of the 67 Red Sox. So he, he Forrest Gumped that, and then during one of the most famous Red Sox-Yankees brawls of all time, he ended up being in the game and in the fray, not as a member of the Red Sox, but as a member of the New York Yankees. So um, those are two interesting Jerry Moses' stories, and, uh, and needless to say, uh, I, I, Jerry was a good friend. Um, He died a few years back, and I miss him terribly. He's a good
0: guy. Yeah, we all do. Great guy.
2: Uh, guy. uh,
1: Thanks, Buck.
0: Buck, thanks a lot. Steve Buckley. Great job, friend. Of The Athletic, good friend of ours, good friend of everybody. And go August 24th, St. Peter's over at Field over in Cambridge. Uh, It's a great, great – if you love baseball, you're going to love this night. And by
2: the way, real quick, I I have a photo of my office, uh, and the caption is – Four guys who combined and went 350 major league games, and it's a picture of Clemens in his windup, and under his arm, along the fence, it's Mike Lynch, Dan Shaughnessy, and Steve Buckley, just leaning against the fence, watching him like that. It's—I'll send it to you. It's hilarious photo.
0: Oh, good, good. Please do, right. please do. All right, Steve. Thanks a lot. Right, so thanks a lot. All right. thanks All right. you. See, you guys. See you next Great. week. Bye, bye. Unacred Boston is a presentation of Unacred Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unacredboston.com.